reporting for duty for another amazing week. And tonight we have an incredible guest chef coming live from Mesquite, Nevada. Doug, introduce our guest chef of the evening, please. With pleasure. Hello, everybody. As Vlad said, thank you guys so much for tuning in with us tonight. Um, we are doing something a little bit different tonight, and hopefully, uh, hopefully in the future this works out for us, doing a little bit of a different platform. So let us know what you guys think. Uh, but as Chef Vlad said, coming out of Nevada, we have Chef Jesse Moreno. Moreno, correct? Yeah, we'll, we'll say Jesse Moreno. I like Moreno. to roll that R. Well, I like to roll I like that it. R a little bit. I like it. Jesse Moreno. Uh, coming out of Nevada with us tonight. Uh, Chef is a fitness advocate as well as a food fanatic, uh, which is quite a title that I am unfamiliar with. So we will get more into that. But how are you doing tonight, Chef? I'm doing well. Just hanging out in a CD motel room in uh, Mesquite, Nevada, doing, doing the traveling chef thing, you know, helping our customers. I love it. I love it. I think uh, CD motel room in Nevada are probably synonymous. I don't know if there's a lot of non-CD motel rooms in Nevada. Yeah, unless you get to, you know, the higher ends, like, you know, the Cosmo Resorts World and all that stuff. But, yeah, I remember first going, uh, hanging out in Nevada would be at the Motel 6. And, you know, all we needed was a place to crash, right? That's it. Even if it was Right, faster, exactly. You know. Exactly, exactly. Three hours, four hours tops, I'm good. Let's yep. get back on the road. Mm-hmm. I love it. So we're going to kind of get a little bit into your life story and kind of what started you down the path that you're on. Um, as far as your culinary journey, can you kind of take us back to those early years of, you know, young Jesse as a chef? Wow. Without uh, dating myself, um, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the quick, a little story about it is, you know, I, you know, come from a traditional, you know, Mexican household where, you know, the, the men just do whatever and, and the, the women cook. My mom never really let me in the kitchen. Uh, she was a phenomenal cook, still is. Um, so what happened is I would be baking while she was at work. So I started out like as a wannabe baker, right? I get the Duncan, Duncan Hines on, you know, the box cakes and start making cakes, try to clean the kitchen up, you know, before, you know, my mom gets home because she's, you know, very anal retentive on keeping the kitchen clean. And she'd come home and be like, what's this cake? You know, and I go, well, I made it. And she's all, and then she'd inspect the kitchen after, right? <laughs> you know, to be, but, uh, you know, that's kind of. It doesn't matter how the cake tasted. It mattered how the kitchen yeah. looked when you were done with it. Exactly. And I think that's how uh, I ended up being in my kitchens too. So, you know, I blame that on my mom. Um, but, you know, she would, uh, you know, just in the Mexican, in our household, I mean, she would have chicken in the, in the, in the sink defrosting you know, not food safety related. It was still cool. Um, and she would say, okay, I need you to butcher the chicken. And I'm like, you know, probably like 12, 13, 14. And I'm like, you know, I don't know how to do this. And I'm just chopping this shit out, you know, just, and then she would actually start teaching me how to do it. Um, you know, moving a little bit fast forward, you know, my mom, uh, we went through a pretty bad divorce. Um, and so she had no passion to cook anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started taking over the cooking, you know, started uh, bringing friends over dinner parties, you know, just to get her mind off of things. And then, uh, you know, I figured that that's some sort of passion that I had for it. And, uh, you know, so push comes to shove. I, you know, enrolled in culinary school, uh, one of the best and worst decisions of my life. Um, the, the best because it brought me to where I am right now, you know, and it taught me a lot of the skills, you know, stuff like that. But it was also the worst decision because, you know, it's expensive. Right. And I was this fresh out of high school. No, no. I think I started late. You know, I started probably in my 
28. I was probably like 28 when I started. So I started late, you know, before that I was in high rise construction foreman and stuff like that. So, you know, I was never really into the professional field until I went and enrolled myself to culinary school. So, you know, like I said, it was the worst uh, decision uh, that I made as well because of the cost factor of, you know, going to a college or culinary school, right? That same money, I think in hindsight, I would have probably just got the loan out and just traveled the world and worked with the best chefs that I could, you know, and just use that money that way. Yeah. But, like, what would you say was kind of like that motivating factor? You said you were doing, you know, construction work and then you're like, you know what, like, screw this. I'm going to culinary school. Was there like a chef that you were watching? Did you have a mentor? What kind of pushed you to make that leap? You know what? It was for the love of cooking. And then my mom started coming out of it. She was starting, you know, I could see that depression kind of like, you know, going away a little bit. Um, but, you know, it was always we would always watch, you know, Iron Chef, like the OG Iron Chef, like the Japanese version. Right. You know, not the, not the modern day version and um, watch the Emerald show. So those two those those were my first two glimpses of like what a culinary rock star world is right you know you know the food network you know um so that's what caught me that was got the me food into network it. was still showing was the, exactly that was in the food network it's like when mtv was actually showing videos back then right there you, you go know, you know so you know the food network you know and that's when i was you know watching emerald watching the you know the uh iron chef and i was like oh man this is pretty badass you know i think this is what i want to do so i I enrolled never, and then quit my job and I never looked back, you know? So I think it, it was definitely a blessing in disguise, you know, going through my, you know, my family going through that divorce and me trying to help my mom out as far as her getting out of that depression space, you know, cause mental yeah. health is super important. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at, you know, now probably what, 20 something years later, you know, still banging it out. So you were working on the, yeah, I'm going to interrupt, Doug. When you yeah, were working, go ahead. you know, for the high rises and stuff like that, were you still cooking? What was that, you know, did you have like family meals once a week? What was that kind of life into, you know, keep yeah. evolving as the as the chef side of you? Yeah, you know, like I said, with my mom, she was the big influence. She would, you know, we would, she would have dinner parties all the time. She was always cooking. We're always doing stuff like, you know. You know, for St. Patrick's Day, she would be doing the corned beef. You know, every holiday she would be doing something. She was a phenomenal cook. You know, she is a phenomenal cook. You know, French toast was like my favorite thing she would make all the time. So I kind of took those reins out. You know, I started inviting my friends over, you know, come over. I'm just going to cook, whatever, just bang shit out, you know, just whatever. Um, and then she started inviting her friends. So that's how it evolved. And then, you know, when I quit my job and just went straight to culinary school, that's all I focused on. You know, culinary school was six days a week, 10-hour days. You know, compared to like, you know, our, our structured classroom was that because it was made for um, working people. Right. But even though I quit my job and just went to culinary school full time, I just I just dove right you in. You want to give a shout out to the culinary school you went to? Yeah. Uh, Le Cordon Bleu in Pasadena, no longer in existence. So, you know, it's it was a, it was a great it was a great thing. You know, it's, it's a great program. I was taught by really great chefs. Uh, you know, CIA graduates, you know, we, we tease them, we're, you know, CIA graduates, you know, cash in advance, you know, just, you know, going over there in New York and I was over here in uh, Southern California, Pasadena. So yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a cool school in Old Town, Pasadena. It's anybody that listens knows that area. It's, it was pretty hip. That's awesome. And what were like, uh, you know, those early jitters or what were those early, you know, phenomenons that you learned in, in food that drove you even stronger and made you you know want to learn and dive deeper into the subject 
you know, in my, in my years or year of, you know, being in school and stuff like that, you know, the main uh, push was, and the inspiration was the instructors, instructors actually, you know, even with regular school teachers and, you know, they don't get enough credit for what they, how they influence kids or even the instructors, how they influence them. I was very fortunate that I had really good instructors that actually really gave a shit and, you know, wanted to teach you the right way. Um, you know, and, you know, I remember one time in school and I still remember this, we had to do a Palmzana. If anybody knows what that is, it's slicing the potatoes really thin, putting it in the pan, yeah. caramelizing up. I mean, I made a, it was a fucking beautiful one, man. It was perfect. And I'm walking over there, you know, like a young cook, you know, walking to the chef and I, I trip and that Palmzana just falls right in front of him like that. And I'm like, he's all pick it up. And I picked it up, scooped it back and he looks at it. And he's all pretty good job. Next time, don't drop it. And just kept on going. I'm like, all right, chef. You know, um, so that was a, a defining moment for me, I think, because, you know, Chef Weibel, uh, that was my instructor. And he stuck with me all this time. And, you know, it, it was funny because I think because of that instructor, I think I really excelled because he actually honed into my talents and exploited them to his to the benefit for me and to the benefit of the program, you know, Um so, you know, if there's any shout outs for Chef, Chef David Weibel, I mean, he was a badass and he was a cool dude. Hi there, listener. We would like to take a moment to thank all our sponsors and welcome any new sponsors to the opportunity of advertising with us. With products, cooking demos, brand recognition shout outs, and other marketing opportunities, let Late Night with Chefs help grow your like-minded business within our rapidly growing industry community. If you would like to explore sponsorship packages for our next show, please email us at latenightwithchefs at gmail.com. I think it's really important that, you know, during those formative young years that you're in the culinary industry, that you have those chefs that are willing to turn out great chefs, especially someone who, I mean, they could have totally just reamed into you about dropping this, you know, perfect potato. And it's like, that's not really the point there. It's like they did make it perfect. They dropped it. It's a mess up, clean it up, keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it's, and it's no different, I guess, from, you know, the kids or, or the young cooks not going to culinary school and just going straight to the kitchen and just learning, you know, and it's, you know, and it's even one of those things where I, when I talk to, you know, when I talk to young cooks or anything like that, it's like learn from the best chefs that you can. If you're not learning from a chef, it's time to go. Like, like, don't hesitate. You're just going to get stagnant, you know. So, like I said, it's more of the learning opportunities on that. You know, regardless if you go to culinary school or if you're just going to go work in kitchens, I mean, you have to be that sponge. And, you know, it's for the love of the game. I mean, back back in the day, you know, like we, we were talking about, you know, that's when the Food Network was the Food Network. We fell in love with it because of the love of the game. That was before the top chefs came out, you know, the chopped. And, you know, it was, like, oh, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a rock and roll chef, you know, stuff like that. You know, that was, you were in it because you loved it. You loved to cook. And, you know, thankfully I still have that passion, right? I'm not one of those burnout chefs, you know, and, you know, we all have experienced that, but I really still love to cook, you know, and now I'm in a position where I help people more and, and I still cook, I still get down, but I'm helping people and developing people. So that's, that's where it kind of transitioned late years later, but we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I love that you said, you know, you're not one of those burnout cooks. You're able to stay passionate, 
but I think the most important thing and one of the things that I learned early on is a chef told me like, no matter how far you grow, make sure you stay close to the flame. Make mm-hmm. sure that whatever you do, you stay close to cooking because that's where the passion lies. And I think a lot of chefs, as you progress, you start to lose that cooking. And then it's like, oh, yeah, this is awful. Yeah, no wonder it's awful. You fell in love with it because of the cooking aspect. And now you're just doing paperwork all day. Yeah, you're you're turning to more, you know, and, and it happens. I mean, when you're running multi-million dollar operations, you become that clipboard chef. You know, chefs at the hotels, you know, they're they're those clipboard chefs. Are they actually getting down and getting their knives dirty anymore? Not really. Um, not to fault them. I mean, that's where every cook aspires to be, right? To be that top dog and stuff like that. But this is why when I when I talk to people or talk to cooks, young cooks, I'm like, man, stay as a cook as long as you can, bro. Like, stay a cook. Don't, you know, one uh one dark little thing that me when I when and coming back to culinary school, you know, I thought, you know, I had some talents. I thought I was this and that, you know. And when I was signing the papers, right, it's like going to the fucking army. You're just signing your life away and you're just doing that. And I told the uh, the counselor or whatever the, I go, how long is it going to take me to be a sous chef? Because I'm ready, you know. And seriously, I really said that. That's how arrogant I was and just like, yeah, I'm just this badass. And they're like, oh, most, you know, most people do it after they graduate, you know, within six months. And I'm like, all right. So when I signed it up, you know, thinking – thinking this is what I was going to get into. As soon as I graduate culinary school, I'm going to be a sous chef and this and that. And and I think that's a false sense of reality of a lot of culinary schools give. You know, it's still a business, right? You know, that's that's what they're doing. But, you know, right. I, was, I, I was that guy. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, I love that you mentioned yeah. that, that, you know, there's, uh, there's quite a bit of time and learning to do outside of culinary school in the industry for different mm-hmm. chefs. And then really learning that angle of how to play that, you know, game correctly and grow in that, you know, brigade system. Yeah. I mean, you got to get your ass handed to you a lot, you know, in order for you to grow. Um, and I did, you know, I still do, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I still do. I mean, you know, if you, if you say you're at the top of your game, you're really not at the top of your game, you know, um, other people, I think, put that label on you that you're at the top of your game. If you say that you're at the top of your game, you're not let the other people say, yeah, he's at the top of his game. He's, you know, he's, he's reached that pinnacle, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's always about growing and learning. <laughs> so after, after culinary school, what was your kind of journey in the restaurant scene? And, you know, what was that, what was that doorway into, into going into us uh, foods? Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a it's been a cool travel, you know, cool cool ride. I mean, some people travel to, you know, the world. I've never cooked abroad. Um, that might be one small regret that I've had, but I've always kept it in the states. You know, after I left culinary school, I went straight to Vail, Colorado, um, cooked on the ski resorts. Um, Chef Dean Waziri was, uh, you know, he was like, you know, everybody has their poppy chefs, right? You know, the chefs that they that took them under their wing and stuff like that. I probably have about four of them, you know, four or five of them. You know, because every step of your career, you know, every every mountain, you every peak that you get, you have that one chef that's brought you to that level. And then you travel or, you, you know, you continue on and they brought you to different levels. But, you know, he was the first chef that took me into, you know, Vail Resorts. I mean, if, you know, if you've snowboarded or skied before, I mean, you know what Vail Resorts is. You know, you know Vail, Colorado. I was there for about eight years, you know, in Colorado cooking. And that's where I gained a lot of my experience. You know, I I bounced around a little, a lot of little restaurants. You know, I started out at Vail Resorts as a cook, you know, and 
there's a lot of cool stories in my life, which is funny because if I talk about it, I just laugh about it because, uh, you know, within my first week or month there, you know, I, uh, you know, we had to wear all, we had to wear the white paper toques, you know, I fucking hated them, you know, the white chef coat and white cook's pants, right? They're like see-through, you can see your boxers and you could see all that, you know, just like, like almost like a baker wear, you know, they all wear white. And then uh, you would see the lead line cooks cooking on the line, get it, just getting trashed. Um, and, you know, they're wearing black pants. And I'm like, like, who are these guys? Like, what's what are these guys special? And I told the chef, I go, chef, I don't want to wear these pants. man." And he's like, look at me like what? And I'm like, I just don't want to wear these pants. I go, I, I want to wear these black pants. He's like, well, you got to you got to be able to lead and, you know, be a lead line cook. And I'm like, all right. I go, he's like, you do it. Then I'll give it to you. So he gave me, you know, they gave me that carrot, right? You know, I busted my, I busted my butt, and you know, just, and then I'm like, you know, can I wear these pants now? Can I bust? Like three months later, you know, he's like, all right, you can, you can run the line. Man, I got my ass handed to me, like, <laughs> like daily, and I kind of, you know, maybe at a small part of me, I regretted it because, like, man, I was, you know, I was getting my ass handed to me. Right, you know? right. Yeah, and these black weird. pants aren't worth it. Yeah, these black pants aren't worth it. I should have just stuck with it. But, you know, it was, it's, it's another growing moment, right? You know, it's, you know, you got to live into the, you got to put yourself in uncomfortable positions to, in order for you to grow, um, you know, and, and I grew, you know, I, I stayed with that company. I worked, I worked with the Vail Resorts at the Marriott for a while. Um, I ended up being their purchasing agent, you know, in between stories. That's, you know, where I met my wife, you know, we, we met at culinary school. She ended up being in Vail. We hooked up, whatever, this and that. I mean, I worked at a couple French uh, French restaurants there, you know, and I stayed in Vail for eight years. And, you know, I was able to be a pastry chef there, a country club chef there, executive sous chef at a, at a country club, you know, Cordillera, you know. Uh, you know, it's everybody's probably familiar with Cordillera, you know, the Kobe Bryant era and stuff like that. So, I mean, I had a I had the good mountain lifestyle, snowboard in the winter, played golf and fly fishing in the summer, you know, and. It was, it was a pretty, it's a pretty good life there. Yeah. Know? Just yeah. so damn expensive. So, you know, kind of going into your early facets, what do you feel? Do you feel like being able to do pastry chef, being able to do, you know, country club chef, was that beneficial for you in the fact of growing or did it kind of hinder you kind of, you know, jumping to all these different facets within the F&B industry? I, I think it depends with the person. Um, I've always been, you know, have to have my hands a little bit of everything. You know, e even when I was a young cook, even in a culinary school, I've always said I wanted to be good in pastries. I wanted to, I wanted to be a well-rounded chef, right? And I think that's, as a chef, you should be well-rounded. You should be able to make some pastries on your own. No, no one's saying you got to, you know, you know, be building some massive chocolate sculptures or anything like that, but you know, you should be able to make a creme brulee. You should be able to make a mousse. You should be able to do some decent, you know, plate ups and stuff like that. Um, so I, I've always felt that I was very well-rounded. Um, I even say that now I know a little bit of everything and a lot of nothing. I don't have that ego, um, you know, because I can learn from my dishwasher. You know, I've learned a lot from everybody and I try to stay grounded a little bit, you know, and, and I think being well-rounded makes a really good chef. Um, instead of just being like, okay, I'm just going to be a French chef. I mean, that's great. But for me and, and, and how it worked out for me, I think it worked out very well because, you know, fast forward till 2021, 2020, whatever, you know, I'm a chef consultant now for a multi-million, billion dollar company. So, right, right. 
So I think that benefited me. It just depends, you know, where you want to go. You know, I think if you're going to focus on pastries, great, focus on pastries, but you should still know how to sear a steak. Right. 100%. Very, very sound advice. And I love how I came a little bit full circle with, you know, starting more in the pastry department in, in your youth and then kind of being able to have that, you know, executive role of, you know, how this pastry kitchen is going to run and what, what's going to be the output and what's going to be the product. Exactly. I mean, because like some, when you have your first executive chef gig, that doesn't mean you're going to have a pastry chef with you. You know, you have that title executive chef. Amen to that. Yeah. You're, you're also the plumber. You're also the counselor. You know, you're also, you know, the therapist, you know, and you should have that, those, you know, some those other skills, people skills and everything like that. So having some yep. decent pastry skills, you can actually plan, you know, a, a five menu items at pastries that you can actually teach your cook to do. I mean, so that's why being well-rounded actually makes you a pretty decent chef. Definitely. 100%. I, I uh, you know, until maybe two years ago, I wasn't really fond of pastries. I was that savory chef that was just like, ah, you know, we'll always have a pastry chef. It'll be fine. I don't need, you know, I don't need to worry about it. And then, um, you know, when I left the corporation I did, I was like, oh, wow, that's not the real world. You know, there's no pastry chef at every little mom and pop place. And so you got to think on your feet. So it's a creme brulee. It's an olive oil cake. It's, you know, this little shortcake here and there. And then you're like, Mm -hmm. all right, this actually, you know, this is interesting. This is fun. This is like a a different culinary muscle that you can kind of flex and work out. And so once you start to, I think, appreciate it, it can be really, really fun, entertaining for savory chefs, but you have to be able to embrace it and not look at it as like uh, pastries. I'll never do that. Yeah. I mean, because even if you move into the world of like avant-garde cuisine, it's more scientific, you know, and being pastries and and baking and having those skills a little bit, you, sh- you still need to have a little bit of those disciplines in there. And I think it helps you also, you know, learning a little bit of pastry helps you with your plate ups, helps you with your efficiency, your, your, pre- your precision as well. Um, you know, this is just what I've experienced. Maybe not all the chefs or cooks will agree with me, but that's my world. You know, that's, that's my own truth. Definitely. No, I, definitely. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And that's why I always like to learn the pastry side, because I think a lot of the techniques are you know cross utilized versus what it you know versus pastry or not and then when you do go into you know all the powders and xanthums and ultra tags and isis and foams and all that stuff if you have a pastry background it's super simple and yeah most of the restaurants i've worked at have everything by gram and that ensures you know that precision of that whether it's the executive chef or or the you know, Comey chef making this recipe, it's going to come out. Yep, absolutely. Exactly. So what would you say kind of led you, you know, you're doing all these different things, you're in Vail. What kind of was your next step? Did you decide like, I'm going to be the chef consultant? Were you kind of building up through that unknowingly? No, this, you know, this actually kind of fell in my lap. You know, it, it was, uh, you know, so I guess after, you know, through that, through, through my, you know, how would you say my path to where I'm at right now? I mean, you know, I worked in Vail for, you know, close to, you know, eight years, eight to 10 years, whatever. And then, uh, you know, 
my wife, you know, my wife now, she was, you know, a pastry chef as well. So, you know, we ended up having a kitchen, you know, we, we got, we got pregnant. <laughs> so, you know, so we had to figure out another way because we were not going to be able to make it in Vail, you know, because as much as I would love to, and I still would love to, I mean, we were paying just for the upstairs flat on a house. I think we were paying, paying close to $2,000 a month. And that was probably back probably about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I would say. Yeah, was, yeah. So it wasn't financially possible to have a kid and live in Vail on a cook's salary. Right. Even if right. it's both of us and we shared a house with, you know, the whole house was all F and B, you know, they're bartenders and waiters and stuff like that. You know, they're still around. We still talk to them, but it wasn't financially sound. So, um, you know, I moved on. I put out, uh, you know, one of my mentors, Chris Wellman, who's actually one of the executive chefs at Deer Valley Resort now. He uh, gave me an opportunity. He's all, hey, man, I'm in Utah now. I want you to just come down. So I just drove down there one one weekend and just started putting applications in. And that's when I got my first big break at a nice bed and breakfast in Blue Boar Inn in Midway, Utah. Um, that was my first uh, executive chef gig. And that's where I actually learned and appreciate it, you know, like having some pastry skills and having, you know, being that well-rounded chef because that was it. I had myself, I had a sous chef uh, and like a couple cooks and that was it. And that's where I was able to shine, you know, and, and help develop the kitchen that way. You know, I was where there with them for, uh, for about a year or so. And then, uh, I got scouted out by one of the chefs for Robert Redford at Sundance Resort. And he's still a good friend of mine too, you know, Mark Shout. And he uh, he came in for dinner one night and then approached me and said, hey man, I need a chef at the tree room at uh, Sundance Resort, you know, which is the Robert Redford's fine dining restaurant, you know, and did a tasting, got the gig. I was there for, I don't know, about three, three years, three, four years. And that's where I actually missed the days, those days, you know, the, you know, being a chef, I think, you know, any uh, established chef, there's these days where they just sit back and think, man, I really miss that kitchen, you know, because that's where some good times were had, right? You know, you, right. You, have, you have those collaborations with the cooks and, you know, whatever. And that was, you know, I was at one of the best restaurants in Utah, you know, the Tree Room, Robert Redford. I mean, who, who would, and Sundance, you know, Sundance Film Festival, who doesn't want to be a part of that, you know, around that time? Right, right. You know, so I was able to develop myself a lot, too. And I mean, there's a lot of little stories. I don't, I don't know if we'd have enough time, but, you know, there's a there's a lot of cool little stories, you know, in my journey. And, you know, now talking to you guys now and thinking about us it, like, man, it's it's been pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously when you're in it, it's hard to find that appreciation for what's going on around you. But when I think about the kitchens that I've worked in, there's definitely those kitchens that stick out and it's mostly, it's never really like, Oh, I really like working in that kitchen because that one dish we used to make. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I really like working in the kitchen because that dude on saute was a beast and I never had to worry. And I knew he always had my back, you know? So oh, yeah. I think it's, you know, a universal truth and kind of why we're building this F and B community is you are attracted to those people that work well with you. Not necessarily the chef has the best dishes and all the food tastes amazing. It's like that working environment was solid. Everybody came in, they handled their shit, and we knew that everyone was going to be prepped and ready to go for service. Those are the kitchens that people stay in and continue to work in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the two, uh, my sous chef that I had there, Nick Lee's, he was he was a beast. He was and my cook there, I mean, it was only, it was only myself, him. We had a pastry chef. 
she was pretty badass too. And so I was like, I don't have to worry about shit. And we would fight sometimes. I'm like, well, I want this dish. And I already know how I want it. And she'd be like, well, I'm the pastry chef. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, well, fuck you. This is what I want. Right. Um, but she would always win uh, <laughs> because she's the pastry chef. I just leave it alone. Right. Um, but, you know, I had these two guys, man, they would come in hung over, hung over the next morning. We all have those cooks. I mean, I was probably one of those cooks at one time hung over and you just look at them and you're like, man, you're, you're either still fucked up or you're hung over, but I can need you on the line, you know? And so they would muscle through it and we would have some of the best service. And even now, I mean, you know, when I was in my higher end kitchen, I mean, I wouldn't allow, you know, like, you know, in higher end kitchens, no music, everything's quiet, right? Everything's concentrated. Our kitchen was a band of misfits, man. We would play two albums before service starts. It would be Michael Jackson's Thriller, okay? and prince purple rain and then as long as we had those two those two albums cranking you know it was it was a good time and service is always cool you know but once service starts you turn off that radio and you get down to business but while we're prepping and stuff like that we we had a good time and you know like those are the moments that i miss you know when some of those songs come out like man i remember that time you know during prep and stuff like that it was it, it's been cool yeah yeah i love that i love that there's specific albums that you listen to i know uh, in my kitchen now, RTJ Run the Jewels is a fan favorite. Whenever we're like really in the weeds and we're like it's three o'clock, no one's gonna be ready for service. You put on yeah. RTJ and everyone somehow magically everyone is prepped, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the prep's got to get done. I mean, whether you give them thirty minutes or you give them three hours, if you give them three hours, the prep will be done in three hours. But if you give them thirty minutes, the prep better be done in thirty minutes, right? You know, so, right, right. so cooks know how to manipulate time. It's like that. You know, how long for the ticket? You know, three minutes, chef. So that means five minutes, right? Right. We all right. know. We all know that time. Like, you know, when it's seven minutes, chef, you okay, nine minutes. You know, or you know, it's 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 the bullshit number that the cooks give you just so the chef will shut up. But you know, <laughs> the the chef knows the chef knows the crew. He's like, right, if he's telling me three minutes, it's you know, whatever. You know, and then uh, you know, what's funny is that you know when you're that chef and you're like, I need this now, I need it right now. You know, the sh- the shit is in the fan. You know. You get those you get those cooks that are still one speed, they're still going. It turns around, chef, you want it right or you want it right now? And yeah. you're like, I want it right and I want it right now. Right. Three minutes, chef. And yeah. so you know, you, once you have faith in your crew, you know it's gonna be right. Exactly, exactly. And um I think uh we all we all definitely underappreciate in the moment some of our line cooks out there. There's a lot of line cooks out there. You're like, man, you're such a pain in my ass. And then you go somewhere else and you're like, wow, I really wish I could have that person back. Yeah, man. Cooks rule the world. I mean, just they rule the world. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So kind of transitioning. So you got this new gig. You're kind of in your executive chef. You get scouted for U.S. Foods. Um, well, that, we'll back up a little bit on that. So I was at, so, you know, like I said, you know, I was at Sundance and we would close twice a year, right? Because, you know, from mud season, spring and fall. And with that, you know, I'm a big collaborator to this day. You know, I don't think, I don't like doing anything by myself. I mean, if, the, if uh, you know, I've always said. Oh, Walking in, two top, first course, Caesar, prawns, followed by second course, holding, filet, mid-rare, halibut, 